0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So, happy fourth, everyone. It's nice to see you all. I didn't know if there would be anybody or (laughs) just a few. This is a nice group. So, I Tonight I would talk about the meaning of spiritual friends, Kalyana Mita. Do you all know that term? No? Kalyana Mita is the uh, Pali for spiritual friends. And I'm going to talk about the traditional understanding, the traditional meaning, and then move to expand that meaning. And I was inspired to talk about spiritual friends because of my own experience very recently. I had a significant loss, the loss of my dog Rosie, uh, who was, I was very close to, and it was unexpected and I wasn't there, I wasn't home so uh, it was a shock and uh, pretty challenging but my experience was that without exception everyone I told had an incredibly beautiful response and I have to say beyond the words it was just the idea that everybody Responded. Everybody acknowledged my loss. Um, those that I, you know, had told knew Rosie, knew how close we were, and um, understood the relationship that we had and the loss for me. And I realized that that was so significant for my healing And I I found myself, after a couple of days, thinking, who could I write just to get the response? Because I knew how supportive and how wonderful that felt. Of course, most of my friends, not all, but most are Buddhist practitioners. So in its sense, it really was spiritual friends. But, of course, not everybody One person in San Jose even made me a banana bread. (laughs) Now that's a true friendship, right? (laughs) So, of course, it reminded me of what the Buddha said about the importance of spiritual friends. And the most um, well-known, probably, comment is when he was talking to Ananda, his attendant... And Ananda said to him that he understood that spiritual friends were half of the spiritual practice. And he was asking the Buddha, is is that right? Is that so? And the Buddha is reported to have said, oh no, Ananda, it is not half of the spiritual practice. It is all of the spiritual practice. And my experience recently (laughs) brought me to understand even more why he said that. It is so important that we have good spiritual friends. Typically, the definition is um, that we have admirable friendship and camaraderie, that we associate with the wise, that there is nothing more helpful or skillful than a knowledgeable, uh, wise, good spiritual friend. And likewise, nothing that can be more harmful or more unskillful than a friend who is not wise, is not um, helpful. In other words, it's important who we hang out with, who we spend our time with, And Bhikkhu Bodhi, who you probably know, says, The good person chooses as friends and companions those who have faith, who exhibit a sense of shame and moral dread, who are learned in the Dharma, energetic in cultivation of the mind, mindful and possessed of wisdom, Resorting to such good friends, looking to them as mentors and guides, the good person pursues these same qualities as his own ideals and absorbs them into his character. Thus, while drawing ever closer to deliverance himself, he becomes in turn a beacon light for others. Such a one is able to offer those who still wander in the dark an inspiring model to emulate and a wise friend to turn to for guidance and advice. So that's what the Buddha had to say about the importance of who we hang out with, who we choose as our friends. And I'm reminded of the story of the monk who lived in the Buddha's community that had dysentery. And none of the other monks took care of him. None of the other monks were doing anything to help him. Rather astounding, I think. And the Buddha came upon him and said to him, Monk, why are the other monks not helping you? The poor man was laying in, in his own excrement. Um, he was obviously ill, you know, and no one was doing anything for him. No one was helping him. Monk, why are the other monks not helping you? And he said, Oh... I am useless to the community. That's why the monks do not help me. I find that rather appalling among followers of the Buddha. (sighs) So, he called upon Ananda, his attendant, to get some water. And together, he and Ananda bathed this man, changed his sheets, and gave him a clean uh, place to sleep, took care of him. And so later then that night, he called all the monks in his community together, and he said, Oh monks, we have among us a monk with dysentery. Why are you not taking care of him? And the monks replied, He is useless to us. That's why we are not taking care of him. And the Buddha said something, I'll paraphrase, but monks, we have no mother and no father to take care of us. If we do not take care of each other who will take care of us? And then he added if you would tend to me tend to the sick tend to your fellow monks when we talk about this story it is generally in the context of taking care of each other or the spirit of Kalyanamita spiritual friends I find as I suggested the idea that monks in the community of the Buddha, following the Buddha's teachings, would <laughs> not see the necessity or even have compassion for a fellow monk and take care of him. I found that really difficult to understand. But I think maybe it points to something important. And that is that all of us can get caught up in whatever. It could be our spiritual practice, it could be our daily lives, it could be our livelihood, it could be any number of our own concerns, and not be aware of a neighbor, a friend, somebody right close that needs something, that needs our help, needs our kindness, needs something. And we're, it's almost as if we're blind to it. Um, and I think this is something for all of us to pay attention to, particularly in our busy world, right? It is easy to get caught up in our own lives, even in coming here, even in a very valuable spiritual practice. And we might be doing lots of wonderful things, maybe helping in lots of ways, and missing somebody right next door, or somebody somehow right in front of us that we might see all the time. And it doesn't sink in. It just doesn't strike us uh, that this person Needs help. I think all of the world's spiritual traditions, all of the world's major religions, teach the golden rule, or some, some, um, something very similar, something about doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Compassion, perhaps. Um, I recently read the Dalai Lama's book, uh, Creating a True Kinship of Faiths. And he, as he went through each of the major religions in a very, very positive, very, very wonderful way, he came to the conclusion that all traditions talk about compassion. Compassion is perhaps the center of all major traditions. Karen Armstrong, whom you may know, um, an English woman that used to be a nun, has recently written a, I don't know if it's called a proclamation, on compassion. Um, That's her understanding that that the thing that ties all major traditions is compassion. And she's asking all traditions to sign on to this proclamation of compassion. The Dalai Lama talks about a religion of kindness. He says, My religion is kindness. So there's a, a very nice book by Marcus Borg called Judas Jesus and Buddha I guess I was going to say Jesus and Buddha <laughs> Jesus and Buddha the parallel sayings and there are two that seem especially relevant tonight the way the book is done it's what Jesus said on one side and then what Buddha said on the other and As you can see, there's a whole book full of very, very similar saints. And I imagine the same could be done with other traditions as well. So Jesus said, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And the Buddha said, If you do not tend one another, then who is there to tend you? Whoever would tend me, he should tend the sick. And Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the Buddha said, Just as a mother would protect her only child at the risk of her own life, even so, cultivate a boundless heart towards all beings. Let your thoughts of boundless love pervade the whole world. So how do we do that? (laughs) how do we take the teachings of Kalyanamita out into the world? So I thought to myself, well, we can't all be a Mother Teresa. And then I thought, well, why not? Maybe we can. You might remember that Mother Teresa said, we can't all do great things. We can only do small things with great love. And I think that's, that's the key. We can all do that. We can all do small things, every day, all the time, with great love. So it just happened that yesterday there was um, a column in the Mercury, Woman's Religion is Humanity. That really caught my eye. And it's about an Indian woman who lives here in America but went back to India and had her two children. It was a very, very warm day, and so she bought her children some ice cream, a a cup of ice cream. And the kids, being American, (laughs) that's what the column said, tossed the lids and very quickly 50 poor Indian kids gathered around those lids. (laughs) That's, in my understanding, I haven't been there, but in my understanding, that's the poverty in India, that kids would rush to two lids. Well, the woman was so taken by this that she bought ice cream for all 50 kids. Isn't that beautiful? So I thought, that's, that's it. We can all buy ice cream for kids. She went on also to fund a, uh, an organization that, that is doing much more. But my point tonight is more on what we can do as individuals. There are many organizations that do incredibly wonderful things. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, as you may know, just started an organization that focuses mostly on on feeding the hungry. Food, um, what's the word? Food uh, security. And just recently, Gil and Jeff and Nancy, is it? Started um, Insight World Aid that will be doing work in... Um, Cambodia and quite possibly in India also. These are wonderful organizations and I encourage all of us to support them with as much Donna as we possibly can. But I also want to encourage us not to rely on organizations. Sometimes it can be easy to do that we think, oh, there's the Red Cross, or there's this, or there's that, or whatever, and, um, and they'll take care of it. And in, in many instances, especially in huge disasters, that's very true. And what they really want from us is money, so they can buy what, what is needed. But in many ways, there are so many things each of us can do all the time. Every day, right? Especially given uh, the circumstances, the economic downturn, the increase in homelessness right now, uh, the decrease in funding for, it seems to me, every worthwhile program, every worthwhile nonprofit um, is screaming for Money, But more than money, there are people. (laughs) There are people on so many street corners. There are people on the entrance to freeways, on the exits, etc. There are people that have gone without a job for three years. Unemployment has run out. Um, if they're not on the street, they're about to be. And these people can use our help. They can use our kindness. They can use perhaps food, perhaps clothing, perhaps blankets, uh, any number of things. We may have neighbors that we don't realize are, are maybe one step from losing their house or being kicked out of a rented house because they can't continue to pay the rent. So this is the second thing that inspired me to talk about spiritual friends tonight, and to, to enlarge, to expand our understanding, our thinking, our attitude about spiritual friends and ultimately to see everyone, absolutely everyone, and in fact every living being, not just human beings, but every living being as our spiritual friend. Imagine... Imagine if we did that. Imagine what, how the world might be transformed if we literally saw everybody, not just fellow Buddhist practitioners or not just other spiritual practitioners, but everyone, absolutely everyone, as our spiritual friend. And thereby, everyone as being someone that we could befriend, that we could help. Margaret Mead said, and she's been often quoted, but it's so appropriate, never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to make incredible changes. In fact, That's the only thing that ever has. So, that's a good reminder to us when sometimes perhaps we feel overwhelmed or we just feel stymied. Sometimes we don't know what to do, right? Sometimes the need seems just overwhelming. There's so much suffering in the world. There is so much need. What do we do? What do we do next? What can we do? How can we possibly help? We're one person, or two or three. How can we possibly meet the needs of so much suffering, of so many suffering people? Sometimes we think that we can't do enough. Somebody once said, it is never enough. And you know that was the most freeing thing to me. It is never enough. We can never do enough. Then I can relax. <laughs> I can't do enough. So then I can just do what I can do. And each of us are moved in different ways to do different things. It's not about that we should all do X, Y, or Z. We can do any number of things in any number of ways. It's so important for us to remember the interconnectedness of all of us. There's a quote from uh, Mayumi Oda who says Spirituality is not a very difficult thing, it is just an understanding of how we are interconnected. If we are interconnected, then we cannot damage the earth and we can't damage or kill each other. We have to take care of each other because that is just taking care of ourselves. I think that's, that's the key. That's what's so important. Taking care of others when we're so interconnected is really just taking care of ourselves. It reminds me of Joanna Macy's book, um, World as Lover, World as Self. Seeing the world as ourself. And as Mayumi Oda says, when we understand our interconnectedness, how interdependent we are, one-fourth of July, I gave a talk on interdependence. <laughs> when we see that, when we understand how interdependent we are, then we see the wisdom of helping each other. Actually, we see it as the only, the only way to go, right? We're all in this together, and we're all going to make it together, or we're all going to sink together. But we forget, right? We get busy and we forget. We forget our interconnectedness. We forget our interdependence. And when we deny or when we forget our interconnectedness, that's when we allow ourselves to do damage, to do harm. We don't realize, we don't feel the damage that we are doing. Susan Griffin says, Her words having nothing to do with this bird, except as she breathes in the air, this bird flies through. As the grass needs the body of the bird to pass its seat, As the earth needs the grass, as we are made from this earth, and the sunlight in the grass enters the body of the bird, enters us. So when we forget our interconnectedness, we can just pause and remember our breath. Remember that we all are breathing the same air. Remember that we need the soil, healthy soil, and the sun, the weather, the rain, etc. To grow the food that nourishes us. My daughter lives in Monterey and every time I drive to Monterey, you know, we go through, I go... 17 and 1, There are, um, there's lots of agriculture. And so I'm always reminded of the importance of the soil, the earth, and the weather, and the farm workers, those farm workers that are out there in the heat, in the rain, uh, freezing cold or 100 degree heat, picking all the food for us. If they didn't, none of us probably grows our own food. Maybe somebody does. Occasionally somebody does, but most of us don't. We're totally dependent on, um, on those that grow and harvest and, and drive the food to farmer's market or the stores or whatever. When we remember how interconnected we are, how we need each other, we see the importance of everything in any ecosystem, including us. When we forget, we think it's okay to kill other living beings. We don't understand We may not yet know why a particular being, a particular insect or being that we don't like for whatever reason, we forget that it has a job to do, that it's important that it's here. We may not know why, but if it's here, if it's in our system, it has a job. It is here for a reason. I heard a Buddhist teacher say the other night, God didn't make any mistakes. (laughs) I was a little thrown by (laughs) the use of that word, God. But we could say there are no mistakes in nature. So whatever beings are here, whatever plant life is here, is here for a reason. And we keep finding that out, don't we? As we destroy one form or one species, we discover, oh, that was needed for such and such, down to the smallest being, right? So that's a good thing to remember, that everything that's here has a purpose. Everything is here for a reason, even if we don't understand what it is. And we're part of it. We are part of the whole system. And as I say that, I'm reminded of another example uh, from Sharon Salzberg. Sharon Salzberg, who wrote the definitive <laughs> book on loving kindness, and I just reread a story in her book recently. She'd been doing a loving kindness retreat for six weeks, and her teacher, Upandita at the time, I think, said to her. Suppose you were in a situation with your benefactor, your neutral person, and your enemy or difficult person, and one of you needed to be sacrificed. Who would you choose, and on what basis would you make that choice? And she thought about it. She thought about it for a bit. And then she said to him, I cannot make that choice. I find no basis on which to make that choice. I find no difference between myself, the benefactor, the neutral person, and the difficult person. And so he said, well, don't you think you should sacrifice yourself for the others? She thought about that. And a part of her thought, maybe that's the answer he was fishing for. You know, sounds like it. But she really looked inside and she thought more about it. And she answered, no. No, I cannot find any difference between myself and the other three. I find no basis on which to make that choice and as good buddhist stories go he nodded his head and left (laughs) and so at the time she didn't know she didn't know what he thought she found out later i think indirectly i don't think he actually told her but indirectly she heard she had given the right answer (laughs) it's important isn't it might be astounding but it's very important No basis on which to make that choice. No difference between myself, the benefactor, the neutral person, or the enemy, the difficult person. Not necessary to sacrifice myself for the others, but no basis on which to choose which of the others. I think this is an important concept. And we can develop this, this friendliness towards all, friendliness towards every one, an equanimity, so that we treat everyone the same. That may sound startling that we should treat everyone the same. But this is the teaching. This is the Buddhist teaching? And I believe it's the teaching from other traditions as well. Not just our good friends, our family, those we like, those we love, but absolutely everyone. The same. Imagine if we did that. Imagine what our world might be like. Whenever I say that, I think of John Lennon and His song, Imagine. What if we just gave or we just helped, we just did whatever was necessary in whatever form without all the considerations we so often have, without waiting for somebody else. We've all done that, right? I certainly have. Without expecting an organization to do it. if we just saw a need and fulfilled it, if we just did or took care of whatever was right in front of us. You've all had undoubtedly the experience that I have of the happiness, the pleasure of doing something for somebody, especially spontaneously, right? Especially when you come upon somebody. Um, several times driving to Monterey, I have come upon someone that needed a ride. Someone that had, you know, you could see the car was broken down or something. And um, I know many people think it's foolish, but I never had a problem. You know, I picked them up, took them as far as they needed to go. And it feels so good. I mean, I'm going that way anyway. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, I know it can be, but I feel protected. (laughs) One time, coming back, actually, there was a woman at the side of the road. She'd had car trouble, and she was standing there all alone. So I stopped and stayed with her. Somebody was coming, her husband, I think, or somebody was coming. So I just stayed with her. Of course, she said it was unnecessary. But you know what? Many, many years ago, uh, coming back from our group when we met in Palo Alto I had car trouble and you know what a woman stopped and stayed with me <laughs> I appreciated that you know it's not a big thing but it can mean a lot it could have been dangerous for her if I hadn't stayed with her she could have been very vulnerable um, This morning, yesterday morning, swimming. It seems so often there are bugs in the pool. And if I'm paying attention, I see them and scoop them up and put them on the side of the pool. Again, a very simple thing. But the pleasure when one of them flies away. Not all of them do, of course. But sometimes they do. They, you know, when they get out and I try to get them away from the water in a dry piece of the cement, they dry out and they either crawl away or fly away. Such a simple thing. But the happiness when I see, I see them fly away. I say these things just to point out how simple it can be and how easy it can be. To be a spiritual friend to everyone, to every being, and and feel the pleasure, feel the happiness that it gives you to do something. So we only have five minutes, but I, I would love to hear from you. What Perhaps what things have you done or thought about doing or suggest we do or have not done? We've all done that, too, right? Well, the one thing that came to my mind as I was listening to you is that um, we, my immediate neighbor, I just found out, has been very sick and this is a very unpleasant man. This is a man who turned the hose on my children when they were laughing in our yard and jumping on the trampoline uh, without talking to them. This is a man who pounded on the door and uh, um, criticized my parking <laughs> on, you know in front next to his uh, his driveway. Um, this is the difficult person. this is the very <laughs> difficult man, and yet listening to you, it never occurred to me until listening to you that I need to knock on his door and offer my help to him oh, wow wow yeah, beautiful mm-hmm. and then catch him when he faints. <laughs> yeah. But I still need to knock on the door. There you go. (laughs) Right, right. That's that's very important. I'm glad you said that. Um, It is, you know, it's so important in Buddhist practice that we do what needs to be done and let go of the outcome. You know what what happens is not our business. (laughs) Our business is knocking on the door. Right. Yeah. Just in case no one else was going to say anything,
0: there's a small group
1: here called the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, mm-hmm. and
0: everything you said was
1: really very fine. If anyone is interested, we do happen to have two and a half
0: wars going on.
1: Yes, yes. BPF is another, <laughs> another Buddhist organization I neglected to mention. any other small <laughs> practices individual
0: um i when my daughter was really small um and sick there was i was going to get her some medicine and because i I'm a single parent Then I had to take her with me and there was a homeless woman outside of Walgreens um, and it was pouring down rain and I don't know. I, I took her home with me and let her have a hot shower and she spent the night and she left the next day. Wow. And, but my friends were how could you do that? That was so dangerous. And, but it was pouring down rain. And mm-hmm. and I just thought, that, what if that was my mother yeah. somewhere? Yeah, I would hope somebody would take her in and let her have a hot shower. So.
1: Exactly. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we all did that. so I'll end with just a couple of other short thoughts Um, one is I haven't talked much about money that can be very important I'd like to recommend a book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist I think it is the best book I've ever read about money because she talks about how we um, we use our money to support our values. In other words, paying attention to how we spend our money, where we put our money, where we give our money. In some ways, we vote with our money. We express our values. So, um, after reading that book, I was much more conscious, you know, A lot of us, or maybe all of us, are conscious in terms of thrift, right? (laughs) Uh, Wise use of our money. But I became more conscious of, what would I say, value maybe? Or, um, you know, if I buy this, what am I supporting? If I buy organic, I'm supporting organic farmers, organic food, besides my own health. If if I buy something else, I'm supporting that. So just being mindful, paying attention to where we give our money, knowing that that's making a statement and it is actually supporting um, something. Is that what we want to support or not? The other is a word that is so often considered a dirty word, politics. And for me, it's simply how we run ourselves, how we, how we organize ourselves, how we, how we get things done in this society. And so how we vote makes a difference. Do we vote for policies that serve only ourselves or our group or our interests, or do we vote for what serves the wider community? Do we, do we support those things that support uh, everyone, that support sustainability, life on this planet, rather than just what fits our fancy or what we think uh, might be nice to have. I think these are things we can consider, we can think about. If we consider that everyone, everyone is our spiritual friend, every being is our spiritual friend, then how do we support everyone? including ourselves. This is an important premise in Buddhist practice, that we don't exclude ourselves. Just like Sharon, when Upandita tried to suggest, well, shouldn't you give up yourself for the other three? And she thought about it and saw clearly, no, I am part of all of it. No more than, no less than. And so can we support whatever it is, policies or projects or anything that is for the good of all of us, not just our own selfish interests? So I'll end with a very short reading from Gabran. I often read from him, his wonderful wisdom. And it's not exactly related to what we've just been talking about, but it is to friends. And let there be no purpose in friendship save the deepening of the Spirit. And let your best be for your friend. If he must know the ebb of your tide, let him know its flood also. For what is your friend that you should seek him with hours to kill? Seek him always with hours to live. For it is his to fill your need, but not your emptiness. And in the sweetness of friendship, let there be laughter and sharing of pleasures. For in the dew of little things, the heart finds its morning and is refreshed. In the dew of little things, we can all do small things with great love. Thank you all, and happy 4th.